This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor, Kate Davis. On today's bonus episode, we're talking about Fast Company's second annual Queer 50 list, honoring queer women and non-binary leaders in business, the arts, and advocacy. We will hear highlights from a few of the interviews from this year's honorees. But first, joining me to talk about this year's list is Fast Company Senior Staff Editor, Julia Hurst. Julia, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So this is the second year we've done the Queer 50 list in partnership with Lesbians Who Tech and Allies. What's different about this year's list? Yeah, so the general process is basically the same. You know, we had an open application process. We received more than 700 apps that we went through and we worked with a panel of judges as well as um, our partners at Lesbians Who Tech and Allies to come up with this list. Um, But I think this year we really focused on accomplishments over the last 12 months. And so given the pandemic and sort of the reckoning about racism and police brutality, it really made sense to focus on healthcare, politics, and activism. So I think you'll see that reflected in the list. Actually, there are 29 new names on this year's list. So it feels really fresh, I think. Yeah, I think this year you we kind of had to make it a lot different, right? Like how how could we not reflect this, you know, for lack of a better word, unprecedented year in the list? You know, there's, there's, as you mentioned, there's 29 new names on the list and there's several names on the list that are familiar, maybe even household names, many of, you know, that were on the list last year, but some of the rankings have drastically changed. Let's, let's talk about some of the most familiar names and some of the biggest changes on the list. Yeah, so I, I think you'll definitely, if you looked at last year's list, see a lot of familiar names. You know, we have Beth Ford, we have Arlen Hamilton, Angelica Ross, LaFawn Davis, people like that who just, are, you know, have had such a huge impact in the last year, but also just historically. And so we felt like we had to continue to have them on this year's list. Um, but then, yeah, there are a number of people who actually moved radically in terms of rankings compared to last year. And it's really fun to kind of think about them and sort of what they did in the past year is that made them move up and made the judges feel so strongly about them moving up in the list. So we have obviously number one, Black Lives Matter co-founder Alicia Garza. I think she was number 32 last year Mm -hmm. and now she's number one. So that's pretty awesome. And, you know, that's obviously in recognition of all that she's done in terms of fighting against police brutality and racism. She's also the founder of Black Futures Lab um, and she published her book last year too. So, I mean, just an amazing set of accomplishments for the past 12 months. Yeah. And, and I actually had the honor and we're, I think we're going to, to hear the the tape later. I had the honor of interviewing her and, and yeah, talk about a pivotal year for her and for the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, you know, I, I don't think that you see a lot of these types of lists, especially these types of business lists honoring somebody like her. So I, I feel like that's a, a really strong message for this year. And our, our number two is somebody new to the list, uh, Sally Sussman from Pfizer, who also talk about 2020 and accomplishments in 2020, Pfizer is right there with the COVID-19 vaccine. So, you know, and speaking of new names on the list, you mentioned there were 29 new names on the list this year. Let's talk about some of those other new folks. Yeah, there's so many really awesome people on this list. Um, I'm going to be a little biased here because this is somebody who I interviewed 
Um, but I'm just such a fan of CJ um, and their work at NASA. I just think it's so cool. They were on the team who is uh, responsible for landing the Perseverance rover on Mars um, at the beginning of this year. And they're just so cool. And I think it's great that a list like this is able to kind of acknowledge different types of accomplishments and to look at business and sort of the impact in the broadest sense. Then there's somebody like Jojo Siwa, of course. Um, you know, she just turned 18, so she's, I guess she would be the youngest person on this year's list. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm so happy that, that she's on it. She came out as pansexual back in January. Obviously, she's hugely influential on TikTok and YouTube and, you know, um, well, I think a lot of kids really look up to her. So it's, it's really awesome to be able to include her too. Yeah, I, th I think that's such the power of this list and why I'm always so excited that we do it and so excited to work on it is, you know, all, all of us who have worked on it kind of throughout the process, like, well, this person's just so rad. This person's yeah, just so totally. cool, you know, and, and that it's, it's so unlike any other of these, you know, rankings, the, this, this many 30 under 30, 40 under 40, 50 under 50, whatever it is, rankings of like powerful people in business. Like this one's just so fresh and exciting. And you have politicians next to business leaders, next to, you know, venture capitalists, next to people who like who work in literal rocket science, who mm -hmm. are, you know, working in pharmaceuticals, who are activists, like everybody, you know, the the sense of business and our interpretation of making an impact, you know, I think is really what sets this list apart. And, yeah. and this year we, we made a couple of new kind of changes to the list too. We added two new categories in uh, trailblazer and next gen. What, what makes up those categories? Yeah. I mean, I think as you mentioned, one of the things that makes this list feel so fresh is the fact that we're thinking about these categories in really expansive ways. It's not, you know, just measuring by age or number of years in the industry, but we wanted to kind of be reflective of the fact that there are some people who have been doing this work, you know, in their respective industries for many decades. You know, they are trailblazers. They maybe were one of the first people in their industry to be out. You know, they've been doing this work for a long time. And then there's also sort of the next generation of folks, people who are maybe a little earlier in their careers, but having significant impacts in their industries and maybe doing something really transformational. And so this is just kind of a way to note that and to honor that this list is very expansive in all of those ways too. Yeah. I'm like I said, obviously I think it comes across. I'm super jazzed about this list and I feel like we're kind of like teasing it a lot. So let's get into hearing from some of these people. Julia, thank you so much for coming on and talking about the list with me. Thanks for having me. So we have three interviews we're going to feature. And the first is with Alicia Garza, who, as we mentioned, is number one on the Queer 50 list this year. Alicia is probably most well-known for being one of the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement, and she also runs Black Futures Lab. I asked Alicia about the sudden uptick in DEI trainings across companies in the wake of George Floyd's murder last year. You know, it's interesting because I think, you know, a movement is successful when it is um, permeating every aspect of our society. And so in a lot of ways, while, um, you know, some of us may be scratching our heads, like, really, you're just waking up to the fact that racism is still... Um, I, I try to remember and have compassion for the fact that um, this country has really been built on this myth right? This myth of superiority and inferiority, um, this myth of who makes and who takes. And so it's a good thing, right, that people are grappling with the difference between myth and fact. Now, when it comes to companies, you know, as, as somebody who's built my own, you know, it, it's an opportunity to start to pay attention, not just to the impact that we have out in the world, but 
the impact that we make on people and teams and the impacts that we're having internally to our organizations. And I know that you know, diversity and inclusion and equity has become its own sector and it's in some ways become its own business. You know, I, I think that's important. It's a first step, um, but it's certainly not the end step. Um, you know, it's it's not actually rocket science and you don't have to pay, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to figure out how to make your company reflect the community that you're located in, um, how to make the how to make your company um, reflect the values and the vision and the dreams, right, of um, of the communities um, that we're surrounded by. And so, you know, for myself and in the work that I do and in my own organization, you know, I because the work I do is geared towards making Black people powerful in politics, I have to build a team that believes in that. I have to build a team that reflects that. And I have to build a team where there are no contradictions between the work that we do out in the world and the work that we do together. And so what that looks like is that, you know, I have an all black team, but my team is incredibly diverse. We come from a range of different communities and experiences. I have people who are formerly incarcerated on my team. I have um, trans people on my team. I have queer people on my team. I have single mothers on my team. I have people who live in rural areas in my on my team. I have people who are people of faith on my team. I have women on my team, right? Um, I have, um, you know, folks who come from a range of backgrounds and experiences, and it makes our work better. Um, it means that um, we're able to connect with the richness of the communities that we serve, and it means that we're able to do so with integrity and, and authenticity. And we didn't need a consultant to tell us how to do that, right? It just required us to pay attention and to recognize, right, that there are some deep inequities in our society that unless we ourselves are practicing how it is that we undo those, we cannot expect that they'll be undone externally from us. So you don't need a consultant to do it. You, you're, you know, in a, in a position, you know, that you, you kind of get it already and, and so many companies don't. Um, where do you think they're, you know, why, I guess, why can they still not get it in, in your opinion? And, and where are they falling short even, you know, when they, you know, now, as you say, companies have good intentions finally, or they're finally waking up to it and like, you know, thank you for finally joining us sort of thing. But, but yeah. why, you know, like, yeah, why, why, where are they falling short or where are they, they misstepping now where they say, okay, I, I guess I should pay attention to this. I should have my workforce more reflect you know, my, the, the customers I serve, you know, I'm going to hire this diversity consultant to come in and yeah. help me. Like, where are they falling short? What are they doing wrong? Well, I mean, a lot of it has to do with the fact that the majority of companies, uh, at least in this country, are, are run by and designed by um, people who reflect the dominant culture in society. And so, um, of course, there's going to be blind spots there, right? And even, uh, you know, at their best, right? If you, um, you know, if you come from a position, right, where, um, where you have always been considered to be the norm, then that you're going to build what you reflect, right? And I, I think what is needed 
Um, and I say this to companies all the time. It's like, you got to start at the top and work your way down. Mm-hmm. Um, so often when companies try to address their quote unquote diversity problem, um, well, they'll say, no, no, no. I mean, we have women and we have black people and we've got a couple queer people, right? Um, they don't collect any data about who their employees are, but they'll just take a look and say, no, we have some diversity here. But I always ask them, well, what's going on in your C-suite, right? Who leads your company? Um, Are the black people in your company, um, are they assigned roles of diversity officer? Um, Are the black people in your company or are the women in your company in your administrative departments only? Um, Or do you have diversity in, um, in power in your company? And that's really where the rubber hits the road, right? Um, All of the aspects of our companies and our organizations are important to their function, but there are certain people that are relegated to certain kinds of work, and that is also a part of the problem. And so if you really believe, right, that you um, need diversity, then it has to permeate throughout your organization. It can't just be um, in the back end of your organization. It can't just be um, in the roles that you don't want to do. Right. Um, certainly it's good to bring in people that, you know, have a diverse background or whatever you want to call it <laughs> to help you think about diversity. Um, but it's also good to have diverse people in your C-suite. It's really good to have people who um, come from different backgrounds um, in the in the leadership positions of your company. And if you're not doing that, you're really missing the boat. This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Next, we'll hear from Harper Jean Tobin. Harper Jean is a former policy counsel at the National Center for Transgender Equality and has been a leading voice for trans rights policies. Fast Company assistant editor Kristen Toussaint asked Harper Jean about the progress that has been made and the long way still to go for trans Americans. We keep hitting these points over the last several years where it feels like it's the best of times and the worst of times. Uh, And how much of each it is really depends on where you are and who you are. We know, though, from the history of this country, from struggles even more bitter than this one, that leads to backlash, leads to backlash that is ugly. And I said, I, I... put up a blog post, I think, a couple of days after Kate's post about this, right? Like uh, Kate's story about this, like, collectively, we will get through this. And I'm worried about, you know, the folks who aren't gonna make it. And, and what, like, what can we do to protect as many folks as possible to just survive this backlash? Because we know that there is the possibility on the other side of that things look better. Finally, we'll hear from Representative Sharice Davids. Davids was elected to Congress in 2018 in Kansas' third congressional district. She is the first openly LGBTQ Native American person elected to Congress. I asked her about the challenges and opportunities in holding that role. You know, it's really interesting to think about what challenges might have been different for me than uh, a more traditional, quote unquote, traditional candidate. And it's hard for me to know um, because, you know, I've only ever had my own experience. Um, But I can definitely, I can definitely point to a couple of things that were challenges that I know 
uh, I faced, some of it was the, you know, the um, building up, uh, building up the campaign and, and getting the, the funding necessary and that sort of thing. Um, you know, that's just, it, it's certainly harder when you don't come from a family with, uh, with a lot of money, you, when you don't, when you don't come from a family where, um, where other people have, uh, are participated in the political system before in this way. And so I, I'm sure there was, uh, there were some challenges because of that. And then, um, but the opportunities, um, I just think so much about how many people came and helped uh, on the campaign and, and people, the outpouring of support that we got from people who really felt like they, um, maybe we didn't even have the same exact experience. It wasn't, uh, sure, there were some uh, kind of native uh, uh, two-spirit LGBTQ uh, folks who said, you know, I never would have thought I would see someone um, like myself doing something like this. But there were also tons of people who uh, went to Johnson County Community College, just like I did, um, who uh, it took longer than, you know, it took me eight years to get a bachelor's degree. People who worked the entire time they were in school. Uh, it felt like there was an outpouring of um, support and um, even just kind of acknowledgement of just how it might be a non-traditional path to Congress, but I actually feel like I have a pretty uh, uh, ordinary lived experience for for most of the most of my life. Mm-hmm. It's not ordinary to to get into Congress or um, even you know uh, maybe even law school and that sort of thing, but. But all before that, I felt like I was just, you know, I, I always felt like I, I had a pretty ordinary life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people recognize that. And a lot of people want to like connect with that experience. Can you tell me about your role in the Equality Act? Yeah. So I'm it's interesting to think about how it's still funny to be in the second term of being in Congress to me, uh, because I, I still pinch myself occasionally that I'm, that I decided to run for Congress and that I'm in Congress. Um, but the Equality Act in the last session of Congress, when we passed that, I remember feeling, of course, a little bit overwhelmed, but, um, just how necessary it is. And, and I know that we still have a lot of work to do. We still need the Senate to take it up. And, um, and we have a president who would sign the Equality Act uh, if the Senate passed it. But a, a, lot of, a lot of what I try to do is to make sure that people are aware that something like the Equality Act is really important uh, because in states like Kansas, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty mind blowing to think that I can be the representative for the third district in Kansas. And I can also go down the street and be denied uh, when it comes to housing. Like I could try to get a house or an apartment and be denied and that would be legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could uh, go for uh, health um, care and be denied and that would be legal. You know, there, there are things that I think sometimes people don't realize just how 
um, many obstacles and, and what level of uh, legal discrimination can still occur uh, for LGBTQ plus folks. And so making sure that people know that it's really important for us to get the Equality Act passed. And um, and then and that's for the discrimination portion of it. But I also think it's really important to acknowledge the impact that having an entire like body of decision makers in the federal government saying it's important that you're not discriminated against. Your lived experience is important and valid and you should be uh, you should have all of the same rights and protections under the law as anybody else because there are so many LGBTQ plus folks and particularly our youth who are not given that message and it has a real impact on um, the mental and emotional uh, and, and even physical health of, uh, of so many people in the LGBTQ plus community. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. So we're about to finish up this season and we're taking a break for a few weeks. We'll have some special episodes in this feed starting next Tuesday, June 15th, when we'll have the highlights from Fast Company's Black and Tech special report. And stay tuned all summer for other bonus episodes, including some of your favorites from the last four years. The New Way We Work is produced by Joshua Christensen. 